Coca, su naray, su naray en ti. 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 Hello, hi, welcome to this new episode of the Mango TV podcast. Today we have Od Barras again for uh, part two. It would be preferable if you check his first podcast first, but if you're already here, we're very welcome to stay. I will read the biography again. Od is a love teacher and intimacy guide, a deeply present, grateful, and nurturing presence. Od works at the intersection of intimacy, feminine embodiment, and tantra. A practitioner of beauty and seeker of truth, She's immersed in a life of devotion and has studied the arts of sensuality with masters throughout the world. Her work is a synthesis of tantric, Taoist, shamanic, and Gnostic teachings. Focusing on intimacy, she specializes in embodiment and awakening of the goddess within. A trailblazer of finding beauty in all experience, pleasure is her medicine. Her practice is to guide people into remembering their erotic innocence and divine essence through the embodiment of a more delicious connection with themselves and consciousness. Welcome back, Od. Mm, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure. So for people who listened to our first podcast, we left each other. You were leaving to, to India, to Oroville, for two months. How was your experience? Very beautiful. Things are changing, but it was very beautiful. I was uh, deeply immersed in, in practice with a dance teacher and martial arts. And India is just a wild, mm-hmm. wild ride. You think you're going for something, and then she surprises you with something completely different, which is life, right? Mm. <laughs> you, you feel she gives you what you need and not what you want? Yeah. I think she, she offers you um, hmm, <sighs> many gifts that are often hidden behind great teachings. Mm. <laughs> it's not easy. Mm. Mm. So, it's, yeah. So, if you allow me, you know, again, today I would like to go a bit deeper on, on the theory of Tantra, classic Tantra and your Tantra, and then on your practice. But there's two concepts which have been on my mind recently, and I would love you to give me a hand to unpack them. So maybe maybe they are connected, and maybe you see more connection than I do. So the first one is this idea of bringing the mystical price, uh, the mystical practice down to everyday life, and and that's a good segue with Oroville in India because Sri Aurobindo was famous for that a little bit, right? This idea of bringing these teachings from mystery school, from mysticism, but, you know, down from a cave into a community of day-to-day living. You know, all this theory are great, but then how do you apply when you live together in society? So this idea of of the modern mystic, of the modern seeker that integrate uh, some sort of, 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 of protocol to live your life according to these teachings on, 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 on an everyday basis. And then the other concept is this idea of the of the of the embodiment of you know you mentioned last time, Margot Anna told you that you know we need to go from the mind to the heart. People talk about the gut, about the importance of the intuition. I remember Einstein said the intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a faithful servant. 
we have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. And this is so true. I feel that since the 17th century, when Descartes says, uh, I think, therefore I am, it has been just a relentless glorification of the mind, of the intellect. And then our uh, political economical system of democratic capitalism has rewarded this state of mind of being alert and problem-solving and completing the touch from our gut, from our heart. Can, can you comment on these two concepts a little bit? <laughs> because, okay, yeah, I guess, I, guess, I guess you are the right person to one of the right person to ask. Mm. Mm. Things are not what they seem, right? Uh, when Descartes said, je pense donc je suis, it was, it was thought as the enlightenment. That's funny. Because, well, what does it mean to be enlightened? And I think at that time, it was the understanding that the mind would take precedence over the heart. To basically deal with the, with, the, with the superstition of the Middle Age, of all the horror that we did in all, in, 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 for, for, for these intangible forces. So we thought that that was useful then, of course. But four, four centuries later... I don't know if we should take it so literally. <laughs> no. And also, the, during the Middle Ages in Europe, right, we had this precedence of the idea of a one God. And so the Enlightenment came in response to that and came in response to the God King, the ruler being the only one that had this um, direct relationship to God. And perhaps that's where the ignorance, the seed of ignorance came. And the way to respond to that was to go into the mind. Science. Science. And the scientific way. And we see the pendulum going from one side to the other. But as we say, we live in Kali Yuga. And Kali Yuga is the age, the dark age, the age of ignorance. And when I talk about ignorance, I talk about the seed that is inside of us that has forgotten who we are. Because we are the divine, and that's what Tantra does. It's to remind us that we are that divinity in the body. And so let's just look at the first question you ask about how to live this mystical life in an everyday reality. Well, it's actually very simple, and the deepest teachings are very often the most simple one. How can we live more in love? And how can we live with more detachment? Perhaps detachment is not the right word. With deeper surrender. And what is a surrender, right? And surrender doesn't mean to give up. When we give up something, we kind of feel a loss. When we surrender, it's almost like a release, like an ease. And so to live this mystical experience in a daily life, it's... How can you make the ordinary extraordinary? But it's not extraordinary. It's just reconnecting to the magic of we are sacred, magical human beings. We have a heart inside of us that is beating every second without having us to ask anything. Whoa, right? We are made of the last 30 billion years of creation on this planet through our cells and atoms and mitochondria. And I think we get into the mind because the idea of that is too terrifying. Oh, my God. That's very scary. And 
in Tantra or in non-dualist tradition, we everything is one. So the overwhelm and the wonder. So we can feel overwhelmed by the idea that we are so much. And then we can enter the wonder. And it's in this wonder that I truly believe that we can live this mystical life in our everyday living, which means with your family, which means with dealing with traffic, which means dealing with changing diapers, which means dealing with the everyday reality of having parents that are annoying. And yes. And your boss and the traffic and the... And you're everything. We are everything. We are one. Well, you know, everybody says that, but what does it actually mean? And to live... This, at least how I experience it, to live this mystical life in the everyday basis is to keep on remembering that we have forgotten and that we keep on forgetting who we are. And that's the seed of ignorance. I think I am that. I think I am this identity. I think I am odd. Mm. I think I am my mind. I think I am my thought. I think I am my body. <laughs> we have thought. We have a mind, we have a body, but we are not that. Yeah, we have to disidentify with our ego. Yeah, and our ego serves us. Our ego can be really good, but it's our friend. Mm. Let's let's not make the ego the driver. The let's bad not, guy. Yeah, he's not the bad guy. Nothing is bad. That's the great thing about Tantra. Nothing is good, nothing is bad. Everything simply is. Mm. And... And how we can live that in a daily life is ask yourself really deeply, how can I feel more love? And if you know you're advancing on whatever path it is, ask yourself, am I more loving? And that means, right, loving with all things. And that's where it gets really challenging because there's some people that you don't want to love because they're quote-unquote bad people. Talk, toxic. And even in that... How can you just accept them as they are? And that's quite radical. And that's what Tantra is. It's radical. It's to enter this path of non-judgment and, and, and actually accepting all the parts of ourselves. And the other thing, so one is love, or some say compassion. But compassion, when you break down the word, it means compassion, which means in suffering with. So I think it's a very beautiful word to it, but I don't want to be in suffering with. What if I'm in love with? Oh, okay, that's one. And then the other side is detachment. And detachment, again, you can use that word, but what am I detaching from? What if we use the word surrender? Opening, not letting go, because where does it go? I don't know where it goes. But if I surrender... It's like I'm offering it. And so to observe all of these thoughts, to observe the negative thoughts, to observe the judgments that we have, to observe everything that we forget, and to choose in that moment how in love can you be with all of these things that you see and how can you surrender them and offer them to something grander, which is you as this divinity and everybody else, right? I'm not special. Life is special. And when we understand that, not with the mind, when we experience that with the heart and choose to integrate it in our daily life, that's how every moment becomes mystical. And that's where, you know, hmm, 
the construction worker that puts his love into building a house, he understands the incredible power of the ordinary, which is actually extraordinary. He's building a house. He's maybe one of the most mystical beings in the world. He's going to create the space where we're going to live. And I feel that today a lot of us are, are seeking, we're seeking and seeking and seeking, but that seeking comes from a desire of forgetting who we are because it's a, it's a seeking that wants outwardly to have these experiences and then you have your mind blown into this experience and then how do you integrate that in your body? Can you be more loving with your neighbor, with even that person on the street? Can you walk down the street and feel the pain of the world of the world that is being destroyed and all the while still choose love, right? So. Yeah, that's you explain very well. So the, I'm not going to say it as well as you, but just trying to summarize it. So the key to bring down this mystical teaching, the key is feeling the love, feeling the feeling love for for yourself, for your environment, for your people that might not resonate 100% with your values and always checking on yourself how open you are in accepting and surrendering. And yeah, that's very clear. And can you link this to this importance to go from the mind to the body, to mm -hmm. the living a more embodied life? To the embodiment. So mm, that's one of the things I adore about Tantra. It's not about transcending the body. It's about recognizing, right, using our cognition to understand that the body is the vessel to live this experience where we can be divine. So the body is revered. It's going back into this reverence for this incredible vehicle. I'm not the body, yet I have the body. And the body is the abode, the locus for this awakening. So how to be back in here? And, well, this goes with many other, other stories, which with the traumas that we've had, and we all have trauma, you don't have to have a big trauma for it to be a trauma. Every trauma is big. A lot of us have dissociated from our bodies, like literally, or have outer body experiences, which are, which are great at certain times because they can give you another point of view. Yet how do you bring it back into this, into this vessel? which is going to age, which is going to die. And that's one of the beautiful things is like understanding that this human body, this life is temporary. Impermanent. Yeah. Impermanent. The only constant is change. And yes, that can be terrifying because you're going to decay. And I think a lot of the thing with the body has to do with that. We don't want to realize our own mortality. And that's where love comes in. Because love is eternal. That love inside of you, not the love that you want. It's a big difference. I want love. Or just, just uh, give that love. But in order to give that, it's not about giving it. It's about being that love. I am am that I am. I am everything, and so are you. And so is all the universe. And that is going to remain immortal. 
And that's why all the mystical teaching, shamanic teach, all of these teachings, Taoist teaching, they are seeking for the seed of immortality. And the seed of immortality, well, perhaps some yogis have lived until 600 years. Who knows? They're hidden in caves. I haven't met them, but I've heard stories. But the seed of immortality is that self-effulgent light that exists inside of us, which is love itself, and it exists in everything. So how can we continuously connect back to that and the source of this? We say it's hridayam. Hridayam in, in Sanskrit is the word for the heart, but it's not really the heart. It's the source. It's the heart center. We call it hrid akash. Akash is the space, and it's this space in the center of your heart. And when I speak about it, it's not just your physical heart. It's right and, right and left, front and back, an infinite black expanse where we return to the source. Mm. And that source in our heart center is inside of all of us, and it's where we come from. And if we allow ourselves to be there continuously, over and over again, we can nourish ourselves from the source of, huh, I was going to say who we are, but it's not even who, with the source of I am that. And we get back to that space. And we keep on forgetting, because that's the beautiful game, right? We are the oneness in the multiplicity. And so this is the play, this is the lila. Um, But we forget because of this illusion of separation. We forget because the illusion of separation. We forget because this is the game. And that's where it gets playful and fun. And that's what I like about Tantra. It's not about transcending this. It's about realizing that, well, I call her the Divine Mother, Devi, the Goddess, is playing with us all the time. And it's that play of the lover and the beloved, which is like, ooh, 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 I'm here, look at me, and then I completely forget. And I always say this, but one of my, my teacher in Taoism always said that. She was, to be healthy doesn't mean not to be sick. It's how much time you take to recover. Hmm. Mm. To be one doesn't mean to never be separated. But how long it takes to realizing it? How long? Oh, my God, I wasn't present. And so well said, yeah. And that's why the embodiment is about being in love. But when are we in love? When we're present. And that's the gift. In, French, like in English, present, right? The present tense. I am here now. <laughs> it's also a present. It's a gift. It's hidden in the words. So how can we allow ourselves to continuously come back to the present moment, to the heart, to the gift of the now? And one of the keys is the breath. Mm. I think we breathe 26,620 breaths, mm. something like that, a day. So the breath is actually the thread that can get you back here. Inhale. Exhale. Okay, I'm back here. I'm not in my mind anymore. 
I'm in the body. And I'm not even taking the breath. I'm allowing the breath to breathe me. Because we're actually not doing anything. <laughs> Which is kind mm-hmm. of crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these are, you know, thoughts, pondering, feelings. Yeah. No, very, very, very interested. But if we want to draw a parallel, and maybe we shouldn't, and maybe it's my own story, but so this idea that, you know, we've been taught that, you know, to get enlightenment, to get aware, to have a spiritual practice, we need to ascend. But then maybe we realize that we also have to descend. So, so maybe this is the link. The path of the goddess... The goddess descends. Mm. She descends in the physical form. And there's the ascent, right? These are these are deeper esoteric teaching. You perhaps have seen there's this symbol that we often see, which is a six-pointed star. Mm. We see it throughout traditions. And in Tantra we have a descending triangle, which is Shakti, mm. which is the feminine. And we have an upward triangle, which is Shiva, Shiva. the masculine. And at the center of that, where the masculine and the feminine meet, the descend and the ascend meet, Satchit Ananda, bliss happens. And that's where the form and the formless come together. And we have the opportunity. That's why this human body is incredible, because it gives us an opportunity to have that experience here. Mm. I don't know, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> so so you just brought another important concept. So this process of descent and embodiment maybe goes through also through the integration of the masculine and the feminine? Yeah. Yeah, well, at least that's how how we see it through the different tradition and how I personally experience it. But who knows, this is a mystery to be revealed and to be discovered. But we looked at it, we look, you know, in the Taoist traditions, they talk about heaven and earth, they talk about yin and yang, and then you have the Taoist sexual practices that use the masculine feminine in union, and we're not just talking Mm -hmm. about the sex between a man and a woman. We're talking about that internal union. Mm. In, in, in the Gnostic teaching, we call it hirogamos, which is the divine marriage, which is that divine marriage of the masculine feminine inside of us. When we look at the shamanic traditions, we also see that marriage of the masculine, the feminine. And when we look at Tantra, we have Shiva and Shakti. Mm. And Shiva is the masculine principle, Shakti is the feminine principle, and they unite. And when they unite, it is love. And so on a more psychological aspect, we have to deal with our mommy issues and our daddy issues. And <laughs> that's the basic principle, right? Mm-hmm. It all st- because it's all about love. But who gave us love? Right? Oh, yeah. Our parents, we are born out of the act of love mm. making. That's how the formless, right? We were floating somewhere in the space, came into form. Wow, through what? Through the act of two beings coming into union. Whoa. And then in that moment, the seed has met an egg. And this has created the formless into form. And then we got raised with a parent, without a parent, but whatever that is, that has what has tainted our love 
if that means. What I mean by tainted our love is our experience of love as being complete, total unity. And so that's why we have to work with our father issues and our mother issues to then be able to understand our masculine and feminine side of us and choose to bring them together and to remember that we are, I am that I am. I am the union of Shiva and Shakti of the masculine and feminine. And in that, I can, I can experience every, every breath. And even the breath, right? Inhale is the feminine. Exhale is the masculine. The, la- the, the beating of our hearts is the same thing. So it's this continuous play. So... Yeah. So this this is a good segue to to your favorite tantric lineage that you briefly mentioned last time, yeah. the Sri Vidya. Do you? Yeah. yeah, I'll go into that. Well, my favorite. I don't know if it's my favorite. I think <laughs> it's the one that has chosen me. And I just want to talk a bit about tantra yeah. before and what tantra is because it's quite misunderstood. And so, tantra comes from. Basically, the word tantra comes from a, a series of texts that are known as the tantras. And it, these are texts that have come about in, in what is today called India. Well, it was India in the 5th and 6th century after Christ. And that's when we have the text, right? But the oral tradition might have been much older than that. And so we have to distinguish one thing between the Vedas and the Tantra, because the Vedas, which means wisdom, there are four Vedas, and there are these big books that hold all of the wisdom of the world that were created in India. And the date of the Vedas is uh, maybe, well, the Rig Veda, which is the older one, probably, again, these are from the written tradition. It must have been there in silence. There's a way of learning in Tantra and in the Veda that we call Shruti. Shruti means through listening. So these things were heard before they were written. So the Rig Veda dates from maybe, well, these are the dates we have, right? 1,900 before Christ to 1,200, something like that. And then there's four of the Vedas. And the Vedas hold all of the wisdom of the world. There's one that is with the mantras, one with the songs, one that has the rituals, and one that has supposedly the spells, or that's how they call mm. them. And these, the Vedas was, had by, was held by a caste of Brahmins that were the one that was passing it down from generation to generation, and it was really deeply inscribed in the caste system. And that meant that certain castes were not even allowed to have access to the Vedas. And so the wisdom in the Vedas is incredible, and it's the wisdom of all the universe. They're actually talking about our time now. <laughs> 4,000 years ago, which is like, how did they know that? Well, they had access to a source and we got covered by the veil of ignorance. And the tradition that I follow, Srividya, actually was already in the Vedas because one of the texts that is primordial in our tradition is one of the hymns that is part of the Rig Veda in that book that was 2000 before Christ. So it was always there, but it wasn't codified Mm -hmm. in text. And then the tantras emerge in the 5th and and 6th century, kind of as a, well, with these texts, kind of as a response to it because it it gave actually access to this divinity to every And it was like, okay, you do these practices and you have access to this. And it happened within a context where there was two big dynasties in India, one in the north and one in the south. And as they broke up, it created all of these different states. And uh, Tantra was able to emerge out of these states because, well, 
the tantric promised a lot of a lot of powers powers to overcome the enemies powers to be good in battle and all of that so there's also that part in 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 the tantric text originally and so we're talking about you know, I don't want to call it medieval because this is a Western term, but medieval India, 5th and 6th century, when, when the tantric text uh, really took place. And then it really started to spread out around the 10th century. And there was one text in particular that's called the Devi Mahatnyam, which is, or the Chandipat, which is the praises to the goddess. And it's a text that dates from 400, 500 after Christ. And it's a text in devotion to the goddess Durga. And the goddess Durga is the mother goddess. And here she is in the form of Chandi, the fierce form. And she is said to kill all of the demons, mm. all of the asuras. And it's 700 verses. And this be it Shivaist, which are the ones dedicated to Shiva, or Shaktiist, if there's one thing they don't debate about, is this text. Mm -hmm. And this is a text that is incredibly powerful, and it talks about demons and warfare, mm -hmm. but the demon is Mahisha, which is the demon of ignorance. And so it's actually slaying the demons of our own mind that make us forget that we are that. And so, so that's, you know, that's uh, goddess worship. And the path that I'm on, which is called Srividya, which means the path of auspiciousness, is dedicated to a goddess in particular, which is called Tripura Sundari. And Tripura Sundari means the one who is beautiful in all three states. And so Sundari is beautiful. And Tripura, Pura means states, or it means cities, but let's call it states because the states are not actually cities. They're the waking, the dreaming, and the dreamless deep, deep sleep state. And so the one who is beautiful behind or in front of these three states, which is consciousness herself. And in this tradition, we worship consciousness as her. And it's a very beautiful, well, it's the path that I, that I follow, so I'm going to say it's very beautiful. And it's a path where you need to be initiated. So these lineages have been passed down from guru to students. And what I mean by guru here is, well, guru, remover of darkness, but it's one who has walked before you, a teacher. A teacher. Actually, in India, anybody who teaches you something is a guru. Mm. <laughs> And so these have initiations because they have mantras, and mantras are sound vibrations that have uh, very strong powers inside. And some of these mantras are locked because they have a lot of power. And it's like you don't give a baby a hammer, right? He wouldn't know how to use it. You have to give him the tools to understand how to use it, and then over time, they will be able to manage it. And so in this path, we, we dedicate Tripura Sundari, which we see as, as consciousness herself, at the oneness, as totality. And she is the goddess of beauty, pleasure, eroticism, sweetness, and love. And, you know, it sounds, ooh, that sounds like something I want to try. Yes, and it's not for the faint-hearted. Because the moment, actually, you don't choose. She chooses you. And like all of it, you never choose. It chooses you. And it's deep surrender. And it's 
ever-expanding. You think you know something, and she'll take it away from you. <laughs> Playfully, because her name is also called Lalita, and Lalita means she who plays. And there's a, there's a text, which is called The Thousand Names of the Goddess, the Lalita Sahasranama. And in that text, you, we praise the goddess with thousand names, and the names go from the one who is oozing nectar to the one who is the seed of ignorance. So she is everything, and that's the beauty. That there's no good or bad, it just is one. So, yeah. And so I am in the lineage uh, that is coming down from Guruji Amritanandanat, Amritanandanat. Thank you, Guruji. From Devi Puram in the south of India. He is not in his body anymore, but the ashram is still there. And my, my teacher coming down from that lineage. But so in like, you know, 500 after Christ in, in India with this Veda and the teaching, you know, the, the, the students were like in a circle listening to the teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to explore here how you know, how you and in general the contemporary Tantra teacher integrate this old teaching into what is called Neo-Tantra. Because right now when you look at retreat, for example, it's they always make a distinction. You know, the classical Tantra retreat, you, there's a lot of chanting and mantra and yoga and, and, and the more like Neo-Tantra retreat, there is a little bit more of sexual practice. Am I generalizing or mm. well this is a big topic neo tantra neo tantra new tantra new tantra what does that mean really what does it mean let's call it for what it is sexual liberation yeah. that's really important yeah for example for yoga jiva muti took the asanas and put the music and the flow and you know yes and uh, like the meditation people they put these different guidance and different type of, of, of you know what I mean by, by Neo. It, has, it doesn't have to be necessarily a bad thing. I mean, everything has been reinterpreted by the West, right? Yes. And, for and, us, for, okay. the, for the white. Or let's, the, just, let's just get into This is getting nitty-gritty, but we'll let, let's go into it because that's what people are interested in, right? People are interested in sex. And this idea that Tantra is sex. So what has happened is that in, in the traditional, in, in Tantra, we do not deny the body. In traditional texts, we do not deny the body. And so that's why it's not about transcendence. It's about being in the body. And yes, there were in the traditional text some rituals that had to do with the body and that had to do with sexuality. The, the, the Vedic path tended to be an ascetic path, a path for monks, Right? So I'll transcend of, the body of renunciation, of, renunciation yeah. of desires, right? And Tantra said, you don't have to renounce your desires. The desires are also part of it. Go through them. And then we get neurotic and we think that it means it's a free for all for hedonism. And as Guruji said, it is better to not fulfill one desire than to fulfill a thousand. Because truly desires are born out of fears. And what we truly want is to pulverize the seed of, of, of ignorance and the seed of fear. And so in, in traditional tantra, another thing that was really amazing is that shakti, which is the feminine power, 
and the embodiment of it. We use the body in these texts. There's something called nyasas, which is empowerment of mantras in the body. And so the body became the place where the divine would awake. That's the power of Tantra. The divine is awakening in this physical body. And we revere the feminine. Mm -hmm. The feminine, which doesn't mean necessarily female, but the female has a bit more feminine inside of her. And we revere that. So that was amazing empowerment for women. And then there's a couple of tantric texts, traditional tantric texts that talk about sex. And, and then that got misconstrued because, well, let's go back. So in the 11th century, there was a theologian called Abhiva, Abhinava Gupta. Sorry, my, sometimes when I go too fast, my, my, <laughs> my brain goes in different places. And he was a brilliant theologian, and he wrote a text called the Tantra Loka, and oh, many texts. But one of the in the Tantra Loka, he talks about the ritual union of masculine and feminine, of a man and a woman, and the exchange of juices as a way to offer back to divinity. So there are these texts that have sexuality inside of them. Then we have the temple sculpture that has sex on them, but it was understood in a context of offering that to the divine and in a context of responding to the Vedas, which was making a separation between pure and impure, sex and non-sex, the body and not the body. And this was like everything is divine. There's no pure and impure. And that's why a lot of the tantric practices were understood as being transgressive. I had to transgress in order to understand that actually in the oneness, there is no duality. And then later on, I think in the 16th century, there's a text that's called the Yoni Tantra. And Yoni is the Sanskrit word for vagina, vulva, I should put it. And Yoni means the cosmic portal. And in this text also, there's a text where they talk about the worship of a woman's vulva in order to get shakti, to get power. So these texts had sexuality within them, but it was directed in a particular way as a worship to the goddess. And when I mean the goddess, today the word goddess has been also very misconstrued. The goddess here, we talk about Devi. And remember that text I talked about, the Devi Mahatnyam Devi, means self-effulgent luminous light. And we translate it as goddess. Hmm. Deva is the masculine, but Devi is this light, that love that I talked about at the beginning. That's what Devi is. And these rituals were used to worship the goddess where we offered these nectars to love itself because love is the one that unites all of us. But again, these are mystical secrets that as you practice them, they, they come alive. And what happened later on is that the British arrived in India and we're talking about Victorian Britain, okay, where women were not even allowed to bend down to pick up stuff because they might get sexually aroused or they were not even allowed to ride horses because that would, you know, we're talking about that England where there was a sexual repression that was so deep and these people came and colonized India and entered these temples where there was rituals that might have been offered to the divine. But again, lack of context. 
And so they saw that as orgies, or they saw that as sexual ecstasy, and they saw that, and they created a narrative that was not understood for what it was, because it was coming with a mental construct mm. that had a neurotic understanding of sex as being impure. And then this is what I believe we have carried on into the neo-tantric world, is that, and, it, and again, we have to work a lot on our sexual lineage because our sexual lineage, goddess knows that it has been tainted. We have been living abuse, misuse, abuse. And it's about abuse about the feminine. And as a feminine doesn't mean woman, right? The feminine is in man and in woman. It's the abuse that we're doing to Mother Earth. We're taking from her rather than revering her as the source of abundance. And so we have to work on that. And I think that, well, I feel that neo-tantric workshops that are working on the tantric sex, quote-unquote, which are sexual practices of liberation, are really important. But let's call it for what it is, sexual liberation, right? And... It has very little to do with Tantra. Tantra is not for the faint-hearted. Tantra is a path of complete devotion. And, well, it chooses you. And, well, you know, it's, it's about yoga. Yoga, this is also a misconstrued word that we've used into it. Yoga means union. And people will tell you, yes, it's a union between the breath and the mind. And, yes, it's that. But yoga, it's the union between the small self, the Jiva Atman, and the Parma Atman, and the big self. It's about un uniting the masculine and the feminine. It's about uniting who I think I am. Killing that so you can be I am that I am. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm using very strong words like killing because that's what we do. We sacrifice it. <laughs> we burn everything away so we can be I am that. That's super interesting. And now, how this, how this traditional tantra fit or resonate with the moon dance and the Mexican shamanic practice? So this is something I've talked about in the other earlier podcast. Was like my path to get to to tantra, and these. So the moon dance is is a ceremony in in Mesoamerica that was born. Well, you know, there's there's question about where it was born, but there's the moon dance and the sun dance. The sun dance is what the masculine done. The moon dance is what the feminine does. And here we're talking about woman and man. And in both, that they can come and support man, can come and support the moon dance, and uh, women can go support the sun dance. And so this is really about the integration of, of, of the feminine in the body. And how does it come? At least I can just talk about my path. For me, Walking shamanism and tantra can be very shamanic and Taoism can be very shamanic. And what does it mean to be shamanic? It means to be in contact. Shaman come from the Tungus uh, shaman, which means the one who knows. And it's one who knows how to communicate with the world around, with nature. And so this tradition of, of the moon dance allows you to communicate or teaches you how to communicate with the fire and the sweat lodge, with uh, your own body as a vessel of prayer, with the dance, with the moon. And so it's, it's this communication with the invisible world. And, and so 
Yeah, I don't know if it if it connects for everybody, but for me, it was a stepping stone into understanding how to communicate with the subtle world. It, it goes also a little bit like the ascetic practice through 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 you know depleting the body and dancing nonstop for you know four days and four nights and with very little food or no food at all. Is there something in in the tantra? literature about depleting the body for this kind of awakening or so the <laughs> this tradition where we see of depleting the body they're there to enter trance mm. so how do I enter a trance state and when you look at what they're doing at the Sundance it's also very intense right and 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 in, in vision quest we go out in nature and we are putting our body through such physical stress. stress that we can enter the trance state, which is incredible that we have the capacity to do that. In Tantra, there are certain lineages that that consider certain practices like that, and there's other lineages that be in the Sanketa. The Sanketa is the mutual meeting with this field of consciousness, which are these deities that we work with, call them gods or goddesses and in that something will awaken in you we say don't need to deplete your body to have access to these states drop from the mind to the heart go to the source of your heart center and there you might access consciousness and that means that you know we might not need medicine because actually the medicine is yourself The medicine is, you know, I think Marianne Williamson says, what we're most scared of is scared of our own power. And perhaps we need intermediaries to have access to that power because we're actually scared that we hold it inside of us. Yeah. So that means plant medicine. Well, even tea is a, a plant, so I'd say like psychedelic plant medicine, yeah. let's put it like that. Or we need to have these experiences. But what if? Yeah. All of that was really living inside of you. Yeah. Oh my God, that's kind of wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. Aldous Huxley was saying that the brain was a reducing valve, that would like reducing the amount of information we can get, not to be overwhelmed. And psychedelic mescaline would then reduce, the, like eliminate the reducing valve, and we would get the full understanding of reality. It's It, fascinating. And it's very possible. I think we use 9% of our brain. Mm. Whoa. Yeah. I, only 9%. And we think that, I think, therefore, I am. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, think, we think that the enlightenment comes from the connection to this 9% that we have access exactly, to. <laughs> exa exactly. And so nothing is as it seems. And this is what, you know, Kali Yuga means. It's the, it's the age of ignorance. And mm. the age of ignorance is... We think that we know, but we know so little. And the more, the more we, that's why we get back to the beginning, the more we enter the space of love and the more we surrender into the non-knowing, perhaps there we can have a glimpse of the invisible. We can have a glimpse of what is only accessible in silence. Because even words are limiting. Very good. So, for the last 10 minutes, as usual, I'm going to bug you with the practical application of all this knowledge. But first, I want to ask you something. I'm curious because the first time we met, you were more in 
in tune I felt with with the with the Taoist, with the Qi energy. And we didn't speak at all about that. Now you've spoken more about the Veda. The 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 the, the Chinese Tao comes from Lao Tzu, from the Tao. Mm-hmm. And how how different it is in a few minutes. I know I know it's a long conversation. Yeah, so that, so again, these traditions are all traditions that are ways. Again, the Tao means the way, right? And it's Srividya means the wisdom. So they they were just all trying to find not trying. They were all connecting to a source of power that was trying to make sense of what. Why are you here? And what are we doing with our body? And Tao is, is very shamanic, meaning that it can communicate with nature by itself. And so it's part of the lineage that I've carried. Now my main practice is Tantra. I think in terms of sexuality, the 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 Taoist sexual practices that are accessible to us today are very powerful. And they have a valiance and they we can work with them. The tantric practices that have been hidden for a long time, they are much more unstable. <laughs> That's what I mean. And we rather work with something stable. Mm. And then in terms of connecting to consciousness, through goddess worship, that's the path that I work. That's where I go with through Tantra, but, you know, to each their own way, to, to the same mountain, you know, <laughs> same mountain, different paths. Got it. Okay, let's talk about some practical application, exercise, tools, card decks, stuff like that. Okay. So, practical applications of all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, very practical application. Receive the breath. And exhale and soften the tongue. If throughout our day we can shift the way we breathe, everything shifts. To know that life is with you, that you are being nourished by life herself always, that all of your doubts and all of your fears and all of your hmm, (laughs) desires our ignorance that are keeping you away from knowing that you are already full, whole, that there's actually nothing to fix about you. And so we can go practical application. I know it sounds really simple, but if you can do that, mm-hmm. everything changes. So rather than take the breath, when you're taking the breath, you're in survival mode. <laughs> and you can see it, right? I need to take this breath because I think that I'm not going to survive. I think I'm going to die. And yes, and you'll see it with the traumas that we have in our body. We feel that we need to take and take and take because because we're not safe. And so when we allow ourselves to say, I am safe, I am whole, I am held, and you receive the breath, and then you soften the tongue, and the soft tongue, The tongue is linked down to the pelvic floor. So it has nothing to do with sex, but it has everything to do with sex. Because our sex is where we come from, right? And it's kind of difficult if I tell you, relax your sex. Like, how do I relax my sex? Do I have a tense sex? (laughs) But if I say, 
softened tongue. Witness what happens at the level of the pelvic floor. Soften the tongue. Receive the breath. Soften the tongue. You don't have to do anything. You allow the breath to breathe you. And you soften the tongue. And as we allow that, we allow ourselves to be moved by life, moved by what the Tao called the way, Wu Wei, the way of non-doing, moved by what the Tantric calls Devi, that light that is moving, Shakti, that light that is moving through all of life. And so, very simple, but very challenging, practical tool. <laughs> Stop doing it, just be. <clears throat> so that's a practical tool uh, that changes everything. And then on another, on another term, on another more practical way, because again, I can tell you to do that over and over again and we keep on forgetting. We're in the process right now of creating a card game, uh, which is called Golden Lila. Golden because of that self-effulgent light and Lila means play. Play of life. The play of life. And, and it's going to be a, a, a card deck for, for couples, but couples doesn't mean to need the couple that you're with, but for people to play together. And it goes on the on three principles. One is inquiry, self-love, sexual mastery, and it's just going to be a deck of, of, of cards to play and to play with yourself, with another, and to see what comes out from there. And there's going to be practices inside and, and inquiries because, you know, it's good to ask ourselves the challenging questions. And especially if you want to be with a partner, well... I know, I'm only interested with a partner that I can actually ask these questions mm -hmm. that are not so obvious to answer. And so that's in the making. Hopefully it will be be ready by November. Let's see how it all unfolds. And then, yeah, and then, yeah. For, for, for example, to, to, tomorrow we'll, you're leading a workshop with, with another teacher for... Um, all day, there's going to be not just talking, I imagine. There's going to be some exercises. Who knows? Who knows? Who okay. Knows? Oh, the, it's always very cryptic, but it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So if someone has, you know, want to reach out with you, we give the same website the yeah. last time. So my website is uh, my website is being completely redesigned at the moment, and it's called Golden Rose Mystery. Hopefully by mid June, the new version of the website will be up, and there's going to be online courses mainly for women. I run an online course for three months in the summer and three months in the winter. That's called the Pleasure Temple, which is mainly what it is connection to the Temple of Pleasure, which is our own body. And uh, we're going through these different lineage, Gnostic, Taoist, Shamanic, and Tantric to understand how pleasure moves through mm. us. And that starts on June 21st from the summer solstice to the equinox of the fall. And so that's a, a workshop. That's an online course, but that's in person, meaning in person. We'll meet five times in person. So mm. that will be uh, up there. So reach out to me if you're a woman, if you want to do that. You meet five times in person in Ibiza? Uh, no, we meet online, in person on Zoom. Oh, okay. I see. In person on Zoom. And then there's another online course that I'm just finishing created that's called The Moon Magic, which is for women again, but we're going to have a version for men, which is about understanding your menstrual cycle. Mm. And actually, it's very shamanic because 
Our menstrual cycle is linked to the seasons and it's linked to nature. And my true belief is that if we reconnect to that power inside of us, mm. we reconnect to nature herself. So I'd go through what is happening at the level of the hormones, emotions, how to adapt your lifestyle, how to adapt your nutrition, and how to really like be in tune with that amazing force. And man should also know about it because, you know, women are cyclical beings and it would kind of help relationship. <laughs> so that will be an on-demand course that will also be available. And the vision is we're going to do it in many languages. So we just recorded somebody doing it in French. Somebody will do it in Spanish, in Italian. So that's coming out. And then and then I work one-on-one -on -one with people on a period and couples for a period of, of six months. So we work over six months and that in that in that we're working online and then there's a one-on-one -on -one retreat for three days where we integrate some of the teachings that we work online. And that's close, so I don't take more than um, six people every six months. So that's really the container. If you really want to go, because this is this is dedication and it's no gain. Oh, <laughs> no pleasure. No, no pain, no gain. I I don't believe in that. <clears throat> I really don't. I think that. But when you say it requires work, it requires commitment. It requires commitment, but commitment is not pain. It's not pain. It's not pain. That's yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we shift that, yes, our mind wants yes. us to think that. Yes. But if we think that, if we feel that commitment, yeah, the resistance is painful. Yeah, totally, totally. And now maybe just finish with that because it's a, it's it's a one. Love feels good. Anything that doesn't feel good is not love. Mm. Perhaps it's attachment. Mm. Perhaps it's the mind. But love feels good. Mm. Amazing. This is a great, a way, great perfect place to stop. <laughs> Thank you again, Ode, for coming back. And maybe we'll meet in November when you have your deck and we we'll go more in details with that. Yes, that would be really a pleasure. Thank you again. Thank Much, you again, love. Carlos. Much love. Coca-Sunara, Sunara, 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 Sunara,